0: Galatians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, the message is entitled, The Agreement of One Gospel. We have seen how Paul's independent gospel was put to the test at Jerusalem. The focus was on the false brethren at Antioch, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Now we want to look at how Paul's independent gospel was approved at Jerusalem, focusing on the true brethren. And it's going to be revealed by three things. But let me read here verse 6 through 10. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was for, to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when Jesus, or James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so Paul's independent gospels approve of Jerusalem focusing on the true brethren now, revealed by the following. First, the confrontation by the apostles in verse 6. The confrontation. Secondly, you have the affirmation of the apostle in verse 7 and 8. And thirdly, the confirmation of the apostle in 9 and 10. And so he first gives us the confrontation by the apostle in verse 6. Notice Paul objected to the indiscreet use of represented authority by the false brethren. He says, but from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. And so, the apostle Paul, notice, has returned to his thought of verse 2. Here in the beginning of verse 6, those of reputation, which he met with privately at Jerusalem, remember, when he came from uh, Damascus. The leaders of Jerusalem are indicated by the phrase used by the Judaizers. Those who seem to be something. Literally those reputed to be something. And that's always man. All, man always looks to who has the highest authority and who is the best known and who sells the most books and who's the most liked. All that kind of stuff. The word but is not to be misunderstood here as an adversative or contrasting conjunction. This is a continuative conjunction. It would be better translated moreover. In this case, it's not contrasting. And so the Judaism were falsely representing the leaders of Jerusalem, as if the leaders of Jerusalem were in support of them by mentioning their names. At Antioch, we've all been around long enough to know this kind of rhetoric. When people want to pull rank, they drop names or whatever it is. As if the leaders of Jerusalem had sent them with delegated authority, they did not. As to pit the leaders against Paul. And so the Judaizers were used in the past earthly relation of the Jerusalem leaders with Jesus to intimidate and influence those at Antioch. Notice he says, whatever they were. The apostle plural had lived with Jesus for three years as you know. Therefore, the Judaizers were considering them superior. The apostle Paul was being considered inferior. So they they don't like the apostles anyway. But they're trying to divide between those and Paul. So they work both sides of the street, depending on the circumstance and situation. Notice they fail to realize that it would make no difference to Paul. It makes no difference to me. When people try to use rank or drop names, the greatest thing you can say as they drop that name, say, who's that? And it makes it matter. Paul was not impressed. I like that. It makes no difference to me. Let alone intimidated in the present tense. If you and I are not willing to stand alone for Jesus Christ and the gospel, then we have no right to stand together. You must be able to stand alone. Then when we stand together, then that's good. Very, very important. There's a lot of people that gather together and and will follow them, but they would never do what the group is doing because they don't have the courage to do it alone. Got to be careful. Paul was as much an apostle of Jesus. He saw no distinction between their three years with Jesus on earth and his three years of training by Jesus in Arabia, no difference at all. And so, in order the Judaizers foolishly gave themselves away by showing favoritism and being impressed with men, he says God shows personal favoritism to no man. They do. We get impressed with men, with people. God doesn't. And so the more we're like Christ, doesn't mean that we look down on people, doesn't mean we don't value people, doesn't mean we don't respect people, but when people think that they're greater than others or try to manipulate names or authority or whatever position, they need to be rebuked. The proverb says, a Rebuke a fool according to his folly. That means you confront him, you deal with him. And then it follows, it says, rebuke not a fool according to his folly. In other words, at other times, the greater rebuke is just walk away, saying nothing. You got to know which time is which. Very important. The false brethren were favoring those who submitted themselves to the law. The false teachers were looking down on those who embraced the gospel of grace, trusting the atoning work of Jesus Christ alone. They wanted to make Christianity an extension of Judaism. They get circumcised and go through the whole law, the whole rituals, everything else. And so the God of the gospel of grace favors no person. All came by grace through faith, that not of themselves, a the gift of God, as Ephesians 2 and 9 says. No one is boasting in heaven right now. But equally, no one's boasting in hell right now. Everyone in hell knows they put themselves there. God doesn't send them there. Everybody in heaven right now knows they did nothing to get there. They trusted Jesus Christ. God literally does not receive the face of a man, it says. Because that's what we get impressed with, right? We have to be careful. They, they've, um, they've done experiments where a person will get disguised as an old person and, and, um, and see how people treat them or something, you know, in the store, in the public. And, and then they'll have a beautiful girl and how different people are. <laughs> All of us have to be careful of that. It's in our DNA of sinners. (laughs) So we have to put on the mind of Christ. We have to ask him to fill us with his spirit and his love. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28 says. Now, the transgender community and the homosexual community could use this completely out of context see there's there's you know there's no difference we're all the same but the context is that God doesn't respect one inferior to superior he rejects none that's the context very important colossians 3:11 says where there is neither greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. So the key is, are you in Christ? Are you born again? Have you trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you have, regardless of what you came out of, regardless of what had been done to you, did to others, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus by the grace of God. And so when we are in Christ we look at people we look at them different than we did in the world doesn't mean that we don't have the potential to assess people the way we used to but that's where I have to make sure I reckon the old man dead and allow the new man to live in Christ Jesus Paul objected to their implications by the false brethren here that his authority was inferior to the leaders in Jerusalem. Listen to his words. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now he's talking about the apostles. He's not, he doesn't hate the apostles, but he is demonstrating their deception. Paul was not being derogatory to the Jerusalem leaders, but certainly he is being a bit sarcastic by using irony. The phrase who seems means to be of opinion or to be accounted. In verse 6, it appears two times. In verse 9, one time. In verse 2, one time. There it's translated reputation. All are the same word to indicate those of recognized authority. The Judaizers were using this phrase, perhaps, so Paul utilizes it. He takes their own verbiage to make sure he is being understood and he clarifies their deceptive words in that redefinition or the use of it. Very important. to expose the false use of the authority of the Jerusalem church. Though they don't honor it, they don't trust it, they don't recognize it, but in this point, they appear like they do because they want to pull rank over Paul. And so Paul does this to expose their deceptive hearts. Notice Paul was uh, declaring again that his authority and gospel were not amended by these leaders. The word added is self explanatory to contribute something by another and is in the negative. The error tends to declare the fact as a fact. The word appears two times in the New Testament, both in Galatians, the other is translated confer in chapter 1 verse 16. The point being that from those who seem to be something, Paul had not received any kind of correction during the Jerusalem Council. Therefore, the lie of the Judaizers should be completely dismissed. He's a lawyer. (laughs) He's exposing their false statement, their lies. The majority of the verse is parenthetical, explaining their verse 6. Paul again notices not speaking in a hostile manner against the apostles in Jerusalem, but at the same time, he is speaking very strong words to put a check on anyone who would look upon the apostle's authority as superior to his. We all know how men respect different persons. Jesus exposed it with the Pharisees. He said, when you come into a banquet or something, you know, take the last seat. That you may be asked to come up front. Don't come in and sit in front and they say, hey, bud, can you get up? And you got to go back in the back, okay? We've got a important, more important person than you. <laughs> Then you're humbled. This is the pride of man. And so, the word appears two times in the New Testament again. Galatians 1.16. The point being, from those who seem to be something No correction, no addition, no deletion deletion or anything. It's the same gospel. The majority of the verse, again, parenthetical, and Paul, again, is speaking very straightforward. Sometimes, you know, you try to be as kind as you can, as loving as you can, and when people become more arrogant, sometimes you have to be a little boisterous. Now you want to have the wisdom on when you have to and when you shouldn't and it's not just your flesh. One day Nathan the prophet confronted David as you know for his sin of adultery that um, opposed the truth of God's word. As he told that parable of that man with his little lamb and this man coming over and taking it and killing it and serving it to his guests. David was outraged. He said, this man shall surely pay. And Nathan, with his prophetic bony finger, says, David, you are that man. Wow. It's believed that it was almost a year, a little bit over, that David was like that. He must have been a miserable man for that year. Miserable. How often in the church we hear someone, be it on the level of sheep teacher or pastor teacher, use the name of reputation to impress, influence, intimidate individuals. Um, We shouldn't do that giving the impression that they are known and supported by the individual they mention regarding their activities or requests, attempting to gain personal benefit by name-dropping, speaking to be treated, and seeking to be treated above others, seeking to work their way into ministry apart from faithful servanthood through time and commitment, this is um, taught throughout the scriptures, as you know Romans 2 11, Ephesians 6 9, Colossians 3 25, and 1 Peter, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, all over the place. Uh, listen to James 2 1 through 4 and 9. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, "You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, "You stand there or sit here at my footstool." Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's a rhetorical question with only one right answer: yes. So, wherever we go, we must be careful. That I would say, notice someone in the street or someone that would come in kind of um, uh, not dressed real good would be only because they're misconducting themselves, not because of their appearance. That's important. How often men of reputation in the Christian community are referred to as the measure of truth rather than the scriptures because of their success or past experience. Man is not the standard. The success of any ministry is due to God, not the man. That's one thing that Pastor Chuck made very, very clear through the years, but so many didn't catch it. How do I know? because now they think they're the big deal. They have forgotten that when we all got saved, we were nobodies, coming out of the 60s and 70s. And then God just plucked us out and God did an incredible work through so many. They have forgotten that. It's really too bad. The person will say, well, Pastor so-and-so interprets the text this way. So what is that to me? What does the text say in context? That's what I'm more interested in. Others say, as so in such a church, they do this. Um, They don't require that. They marry unequally old people. Well, fine, go there. What are you doing here? As if someone would come in your house and says, you know, I don't like the way you put the place in the, in the, in the table. I, I think we should put them the other way around. I, should, I think I should sit here. <laughs> You're out of my house. <laughs> it's real simple. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 7 says, now we understand that there are things that can be done in practice that have nothing to do with doctrine but a matter of conscience or mere preference. Yet the standard for doctrine, teaching, and moral and ethical practice is the Scriptures, not a man, not his popularity, not his interpretation or the size of his church. It's the Scriptures, the plumb line. Christians need to be... Um, courteous and humble to question a person confronting them on the basis of scriptural truth. Confrontation is something that most people try to avoid until they have no choice, which is not good. You need to confront things when they need to be confronted. You need to be speaking to God, that He's the one that's directing you, and that you don't just fly off the handle or that you know, whatever the case may be. The believer needs to confront, not because he wants to argue, but because the truth of the gospel is at stake. That's the motive and the purpose. In 1 Timothy 1, through 3-4, it says, As I urge you when... I went into Macedonia. Listen to Paul. Remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables or endless genealogy which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Very strict orders. That's a pagan world. I mean, they didn't have the freedom that we have here. These are very strong words. Titus 1, 10 through 11 says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped. Whoa. You guys think I'm bad. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they are not for the sake of dishonest gain. Hmm. At times there's Too much politics in the church by pastors who seem to themselves to be something rather than dealing with the truth of the facts about the wrong or evil taking place, be it by an individual or a pastor. We all have the same standard. When we make a judgment, we make it against an elder or a pastor or an individual. It's the same standard. No one gets a pass. Nothing is said to the person or pastor due to his popularity, thereby giving the person an ongoing platform for their deeds, be they evil or otherwise. The information is ignored at times, and the person continues to practice their evil or using people for their ends. Happens all the time in churches. Ecclesiastes 8, 11 says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What an incredible statement and picture of our politicians, our governors, our mayors, our senators, our congressmen, our president, the globalist. Because they're not stopped, they continue pressing to oppress and be tyrants. Wow. Paul's confrontation was direct and to the point. Notice secondly, verse 7 and 8. The affirmation of the apostle, the gospel committed to Paul, was recognized by the leaders in Jerusalem, the first part of 7. But on the contrary... When they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcision had been given or committed to me. So the opposite effect resulted from what the Judaizers were hoping to achieve. The word but could be translated nevertheless or notwithstanding. The confrontation privately with the Apostles at Jerusalem Council exposed the lie of the false teachers, they had not been sent. They were not true representatives of the authority from the church at Jerusalem. And so the apostles accepted that Paul was commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They had no problem with it. They agreed with him. The word saw there, which means to know, understand, comprehend, and to perceive, the same word is used of Jesus when he saw the multitudes in Matthew 8:18. 8, what was understood clearly was that the gospel for the uncircumcision, the Jews, was committed, or the uncircumcision was committed to Paul, the Gentiles. He's called the apostle of the Gentiles. The word was used as a technical word in the imperial government of Rome. The perfect tense indicates a permanent commission. Paul received it by revelation of Jesus Christ, he told us in chapter 1, verse 12. This was not a different gospel, but the gospel of grace being preached to a different audience, non-Jewish. The testimony of Peter at the church council was that Jesus had sent him to the house of Cornelius, if you remember. And it was known by the church at Jerusalem, Acts 15, 7-11. When he got back there, he brought some Jews with him because he knew he was going to get it. So he took witnesses with him. The circumcision contended with Peter when he got back to Jerusalem in Acts 11, 1-3. Peter explained that he was sent by Jesus to Caesarea. Six Jewish brethren went with him, and as he was preaching to them, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, as the Jews at the beginning, quoting John the Baptist's words of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 11:14 through16. Who was I to stop them or to hinder them? The conclusion of Peter was, who was he? Nobody. He was a servant of God. He was doing what God sent him to do. He says, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Acts 11, 17 through 18. Remember the vision of all manner of creeping things. Take, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything. That's a contradiction. Not so, Lord. Yes, Lord. And God was revealing to Peter, now the Gentiles were going to be coming in. He got it. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas declared how many miracles God had performed among the Gentiles at that council in Acts 15, 12. Titus was a clear example before them in verse 3 of Acts 15. Who... Rejected and denied to be circumcised. James confirmed what Peter stated. How God was at first visiting the Gentile to take out a people for his name. And after this, God would return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, the Jewish nation, the remnant which had fallen down, so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord Yahweh, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord Yahweh, who does all these things, Acts 15, 14, and 17. So we get a confirmation of, of the time for the, Israel, the remnant and distinction between the Gentiles, but he's picking a people for himself. And because Israel rejected him, he rejected Jerusalem and Israel, but he will come back and restore Israel, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Very clear. Revelation 6 to 18, the remnant. It's there in all the Old Testament scriptures also. To this, all the prophets agreed, it says, verse 15 of Acts 15, calling of the Gentiles. So the new was concealed in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. (laughs) The new interprets the old all the time, not the reverse. And so notice still in 7 there the gospel committed to Paul was recognized by the leader of Jerusalem to be the same one committed to Peter as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. The word as means in proportion or the same degree. The gospel Paul preached was the gospel of grace. The gospel Peter preached was The same gospel of grace to different audiences. It doesn't mean they didn't preach to the other, like Paul for the Gentiles that he never spoke to Jews. Of course he did. He always went to the synagogue first. But his primary commission was to the Gentiles. The word for denotes to whom the gospel was to be given without any reference to distinction in kind or content regarding the gospel for the uncircumcision identified the Gentile audience, the circumcision identified the Jewish audience. The word committed, though it is, does not appear in reference to Peter, it is implied just as Paul was entrusted. With the gospel to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, so Peter was entrusted the gospel to the circumcision, the Jews. The commission to Peter of being put in trust with the same gospel indicates a permanent commission like Paul. The commitment of the gospel for the uncircumcision in no way Prohibited Paul from preaching to the circumcision. Paul preached to the Jews first every time, as I said, in the mission field. He went to the synagogue. Then, when he was rejected, he went to the Gentiles. Peter preached to the Jews first at Pentecost, but he was given the vision of the unclean beast at Joppa, as I mentioned earlier, and sent to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile. No contradiction. And so notice the leaders in Jerusalem, verse 8, recognize that Peter and Paul were but mere vessels of God's Holy Spirit. Listen to the words. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentile. This verse is the parenthetical explanation of verse 7. The person working in Peter and Paul was God. The personal pronoun, he, is capitalized, indicative of the context. The personal pronoun indicates another person distinct from Peter and Paul. The phrase worked effectively means to be operative and active. It is God. We're mere vessels, instruments of God. By the way, we get our word energy from this word. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who makes men effective in the work of God through the gospel. Paul will use it two other times. Galatians 3, 5, he says, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Only one correct answer, the hearing of faith. Rhetorical. 5:6 says, "For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So the apostleship again is simply referring to the sphere of ministry, not different content of the gospel, very important. The apostleship to the circumcision, once again to the Jews. The apostleship to the uncircumcision, once again the Gentiles. He's being very methodical, very purposeful, and repetitive so that he will not be misunderstood. What's at stake here? Is the Galatians being deceived, continuing to believe the Judaizers? The letter sent out from Jerusalem, as you know, to the Gentiles was concerning those who were troubling them, as well as endorsing the authority and ministry of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Very direct. There are some that would go out and trouble you. And they even say, you know, we, if you keep yourself from um, you know, strangled things, from blood and fornication, if you do this, you do well. Because that yoke was being placed by the Judaizers to control them, to make them like them, not like Christ. There's a lot of churches like that. They want to make you more like them than like Christ. How often men want to be recognized having some emotional, or psychological need, so they go into the ministry. Well, you know, I've tried everything else. Might as well try the ministry. As if that's the lowest part. If you're not called, don't even go there. If you're not sent, don't even go. If you're not anointed, don't open your mouth. But if God's called you to be a foot in the ministry, be a foot. If you're a hand, be a hand. Be exactly what God has called you to be. and You will be 100% effective trusting in Jesus Christ. That's part of the body. Their goal is to have people depend on them and look to them. Acts 20, 30, Paul says, also from among yourselves, he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He spent three three and a half years with them. Among yourselves, men will rise up, seeking perverse, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Um I can think back when I was first born again in seventy-three and men who were used tremendously in the Jesus movement. And they became false teachers. Or they walked away. Insane. You say, how can that happen? Easy. Not looking to Jesus, look into yourself. Not be satisfied with what Jesus does, but you think you deserve more, so now you go after it. So you build your own little kingdom. Hmm. At other times, people want to be recognized in order to receive glory and admiration. Like the Pharisees, they love the chief seats. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love to be heard and complimented. Listen in the 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says, For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Hmm. It's embarrassing to be a Christian sometimes person must understand completely the responsibility before God for the trust of the gospel. I was just sharing with my grandson the other day. He came over the house and we were talking and we were in the garage. He was punching the speed bag and that. I said, Gage, I said, the greatest thing I can leave you and your sisters and your brother is all the commentary I've done through the Bible through 40 years. Every book, every verse, general, commentary, introductions, and in-depth studies. That is the greatest thing I can leave to you so you know what the Word of God says and you study it so you don't get deceived. The money, the house, the cars, that's all going to go. The greatest thing we can give to our children and others the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing but the gospel. Paul told Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.4, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. Again, Paul says, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God which was committed to my trust, 1 Timothy 1.11, The trust that God has imposed upon every one of us, whether we're a pastor, a teacher, whether we just work in some form of ministry, whatever it is, that he has entrusted to every one of us the gospel. Every one of us should be able to share the gospel with our our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren, our strangers, whoever, very clearly as God opens those doors. Great responsibility. The person always... To be a mere vessel, not tainting the content. Paul says once again, Second Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in this earthen vessel that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. Hmm. Psalm 75, 6-7 says, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge who puts down one and exalts another. I've never been impressed with men or numbers. I learned that from my father. And then Jesus teaches the same thing in the gospel. People that are impressed by people are very shallow. They're followers. They're not leaders. If you're a leader, it's real easy to know. Turn around and see who's following you. And if anybody's following you. Hmm. Therefore, By their fruits you will know them, Jesus said in Matthew 7.20. Paul's affirmation was due to what God was doing through him. You and I should have the same affirmation every day, every week, every month as we go along. Periodically as we see what God is doing in us, then through us. We should see both of those things. Doesn't mean you mark it every day and all, but as you move through life, you you see that. You recognize that. Notice, thirdly, we have the confirmation of the the apostle here in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, Paul was um, confirmed in his ministry to the Gentiles by the leaders at Jerusalem, he says. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, Perceived the grace that had been given to me. So the three leading authorities are now named for the first time. James, the half brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, leader of the Jerusalem church, and a key spokesman at the council in Acts 15 13. Cephas was Peter, the one who preached on the day of Pentecost. Same person, Acts 2. John the Beloved, the only disciple who was at the cross with the women, John 19, 23. The longest living apostle, nineteen five. he wrote the book of Revelation, on the Patmos, the Gospel of John, last one. Both Peter and John were also on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, remember, in Matthew 17, 1 through 3. And they were not to tell anyone what they saw, until after the resurrection. You know how difficult that must have been? They come down the mountain, and the other guy goes, hey, dude, what happened up there? Man, it's getting dark. we got to go. They didn't say a word. The gospel tells us. Wow. The three men are portrayed as pillars. Don't miss this. Some see this as simply a metaphor of stability and strength. The three were a source of strength and stability to and in the, God, the house of God. The word pillar there comes from the word stool to stiffen, pulse or support. It's found four times in the New Testament in Galatians 2.9, 1 Timothy 3.15, and Revelation 3.12 and 10.1. But I think there is a bit of irony again by the words of Paul mildly reproving those who were looking up to the apostles and Jerusalem as the superior authority who seemed to be pillars. They were being worshipped by others more than others. You see? It's, it's, it's It's a slap this way and a backhand the other way. Paul is being very facetious here. These three seeming pillars of the Jerusalem church were perceptive enough to see the sovereign wisdom of God. Notice the word perceive. It means to know and understand. This was not due to their natural intelligence. This was not due to their life experience. This was due to the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to reveal the things of God, as we are told in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 down to 16. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And he goes on to speak that the natural man does not understand the things of God, and yet the spiritual man is not judged by anybody, and he judges all things, and he finishes in verse 16, and we have the mind of Christ. Wow. The grace that had been given to Paul, the word grace, unmerited favor, as you know, is being used for Paul's particular call and ministry to the Gentiles here. Now notice Paul and Barnabas were confirmed as being one in the fellowship of the church. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So the leaders of Jerusalem gave to Paul and Barnabas that right hand of fellowship throughout Scripture refers to different things depending on the context, to honor, authority, power, privilege. The leader of Jerusalem extended their hearts regarding the work of ministry, preaching the gospel. The word fellowship, koinonia, is a very rich word, as you know. It can be used to mean partnership, oneness, commonness. The word is used of fellowship with the believer in Acts 2.42. The Son in 1 Corinthians 1.9 the giving financially in 2 Corinthians 9.13, the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 13.14, the gospel in Philippians 1.5, and the Father in 1 John 1.3. So the context will tell you what fellowship is talking about. The leaders of Jerusalem recognize two spheres of ministry, but not two gospels. That's important. Okay? Paul and Barnabas were affirmed in their commission to the Gentiles, and James and Peter and John were also affirmed to the commission of the Jewish Christians. After the council, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch. Acts 15, verse 30 and 35 tell us. And so notice in verse 10, Paul and Barnabas were admonished regarding the poor by the leaders at Jerusalem. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. The leaders of Jerusalem reminded Paul and Barnabas of the needy poor saints at Jerusalem. As you know, Jerusalem was very poor because of all the, 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 the intent to sell everything and give everything to the church was never God's directive. Um. Many people try to use that for socialism that's being pushed on America, okay? That's not socialism. Out of love they gave it, but it was a bad thing because it's much better for you to let your money work for you and help people than to sell everything. Now somebody's going to have to help you down the road. It's real simple. This was not a condition of or stipulation to be accepted. The church of Jerusalem had become poverty-stricken due to their decision of selling everything in Acts 2.44. The word remember simply means to be mindful, to think of, and not forget. Literally, keep on remembering. The ministry can get you so busy that you forget it is about people, not activity and work. People are always the focus of ministry. The Apostle Paul noted affirm his practice towards the poor was ongoing. Paul and Barnabas had provided for the famine prophesied by Agabus, if you remember, in Acts 11:29. 29. They fulfilled the ministry and returned to Antioch in Acts 12, 30, 25. And the word eager here means diligence, prompt, earnest action. The tense declares it was going on before this and just continued. Ephesians 4.3 2 Timothy 2.15 2, 2 Peter 1.10 15 and 3.14 this was always a part of the work in fact the only offering that Paul ever took was for the poor saints of Jerusalem people always trying to use the Bible to raise funds and all that and everything else and all those pledges and all these commitments where do you find the Bible? Nowhere. The church at Antioch didn't send Paul and Barnabas out. In Acts 13, it says, the Holy Spirit says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called them. And they acknowledge the Holy Spirit sending them out. The church did not send them out. A little bit out of context when people use it. Paul had and would take up that collection for the poor saints. Acts twenty four seventeen, Romans fifteen twenty five through twenty seven, First Corinthians sixteen one, Second Corinthians eight one nine one. He deals with it. Corinthians had promised a year ago and said, "Come on, you guys are doing slack. Make sure that when Titus gets there, he's not embarrassed by the fact that you haven't even got the collection." We got we're moving on this. And he uses the Thessalonians as as who were who. Were, lived in the area where all the wars came through so they were in poverty stricken they had nothing and yet when Paul got there they said here take this for the Jews because you know they give us our Lord and the word of God no 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 he says hey listen don't do that so the first they gave of themselves then of their, out of their poverty I have found through the years that the people who always give the most are the ones who have the least always that's just the way it is And so the apostle Paul affirms his practice towards the poor as ongoing. Paul had been faithful to that. The Old Testament is full of care for the poor and less fortunate. Exodus twenty three, ten through eleven, Leviticus nineteen, ten, Deuteronomy fifteen, seven through eleven, Amos two, six through seven, and many, many others. The law speaks much about the orphan, the widow. And that God will get the guy who tries to get over on them. God looks after that. When you take a diamond to confirm its genuineness, it does not make it authentic, but only verifies its genuineness. So was the case with Paul and Barnabas. He's exposing the lies of the Judaizers. How each of us need to be confirmed as to the grace given to us in the particular ministry that God has called you to serve. By the calling on our life, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to each of us, by the obedience to step out to serve in the church, We need to confirm that we are all in the same fellowship, despite of our diverse gifts and calling. We are many members, yet one body. We are different and unique from each other. We are interdependent. We need one another. We are interrelated. We affect one another. Romans twelve, three through 8, 1 Corinthians twelve makes this very, very, very clear. And all the orders come from the head, Jesus Christ. My index finger has never ordered this body one time. My index finger has never attempted to be an ear. It follows orders from the head. We need to confirm our care for people by our diligence and consistency in the present, as well as the future, by loving one another, by exhorting one another, by praying for one another, by being sensitive to the less fortunate, by reminding one another that we have not arrived, and even reproving and rebuking one another when needs so. Faith for the wounds of a friend, deceit for the kisses of the enemy. If you hang out with people, they're always telling you what a great person you are. Go get some real friends. They're not doing you any good. Listen to um, Paul, Philippians 3, 12 through 40 says, Not that I have already attained where I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, here's the key: forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to things that are ahead. I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Too often believers are looking backwards trying to go forward. You'll crash all the time. You will make no spiritual progress. You'll become more like you than more like Jesus. All there is in the past is trash, pain, self, sin. What are you doing looking there? Forgetting those things that are behind. Key. Paul's confirmation was by the three prominent leaders. He's just wiped out the Judaizers <laughs> through the Word of God. So Paul has proven to the Galatians here that his independent gospel was approved by those in Jerusalem. Being the same gospel, exposing the false claims of the Judaizers, focusing on the true brethren, revealed by Paul's confrontation here, was direct and to the point. Paul's affirmation was due to what God was doing through him, and Paul's confirmation was by the three prominent leaders. He takes no glory. He gives accurate truth. He exposes fallacies and lies. What was his motive? The Galatians. They did not be deceived. Wow. Father, we worship you. We thank you. Give us wisdom from above. Lord, as we continue to grow in you and as we continue to trust you regardless where we're at or what's going on in our lives or the world, Lord. You're still on the throne. You're still Messiah. You still are the reigning king who's returning for us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We worship you. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. It is the gospel of grace that can forgive you It is the gospel of grace that can make a new creation of you. It is the gospel of grace that will make you more like Jesus Christ by giving you a new heart. The problem is not your environment. The problem is not your brains. You're not that smart. The problem is your heart. It's deceitful, desperately wicked. And this is the same for any of you that are looking on the Internet. If you believe Jesus Christ as God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, and said, right hand of the Father, you can call upon him to forgive you, and he will do exactly that. By believing the word of God. God does not break his promises. Never. He initiates, we respond. If you want to be born again, this is a very simple prayer of repentance. Your prayer to the Lord, not to us. To the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord.